We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company. Coming at you Wednesday morning. It's April 5th. After the Wolves pick up five point win in Brooklyn on Tuesday night. I'm joined today by Wolves beat writer Jace Frederick from the Pioneer Press. Uh, Jace, I know we got a handful of different things to talk about from this one. I have some clips to play from the locker room uh, from last night. But I think the place to start talking about this game uh, is with. Rudy Gobert being off the floor in the final four minutes of the game, and also Cat being off the floor a good chunk of that final minute, which wasn't all like the foul game or offense defense. Uh, not because that's an indictment of the the double big thing. Anytime Rudy has to sit to close or Cat or whoever has to sit to close, uh, it's just kind of becoming a a part of how this team needs to function. I mean, obviously they did that and they won last night. I would say that was part of the reason they won the game close. What what stood, what stands out to you about when Finch does that, and specifically last night? What did you think that uh, opened, unlocked, made more functional for the team down the stretch last night? Well, I like seeing a coach, you know, because in the NBA it can be so hard to do because of personalities, like what, what guys are making, like the general hierarchy on a roster. It can be hard to like play whatever you think is the best roster to win games. So like. When I see somebody like Finch, um, you know, he even did it, obviously, at the end of game six last year. Uh, he made a move that he thought was the best move to win games. And, like, that's what I like about him is that he kind of at some point just says, screw it, I'm going to play. <laughs> I think this is our best chance to win. Um, and last night, I agree with you. I think that was their best chance to win, given Brooklyn's microscopic lineup was to take Gobert off the court. And it, it opened up things for Cat and Dant, I thought, um, particularly Cat, though, um, kind of unclogging the... the the middle and just really kind of leaving the entire middle of the court to him. Uh, and like, like that's kind of what I think they need to do. Right. I mean, uh, you have all these different pieces and I know that some players want to play checkers and not chess, but you do have a lot of different chess pieces out there uh, that you can kind of manipulate um, with your lineups on various nights. And for me, I think that's what they have to do because we've seen how like tight the margins are for this team one way or the other. The difference between wins and losses for them in so many games is like a play or a shot here or there. So like or a foul anything call. Yeah, or a foul call or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like it is it's like 
one thing that happens that can change whether they win or lose so many of these games. Last night was no different. Um, so you've got to take every little advantage that you can. And I think last night taking Rudy off the court and kind of opening things up for Cat was just enough of that boost to turn what might have been a loss into a win. Like, I, I think that they need to be creative and aggressive um, to kind of constantly try to push the margin in their favor. Here's Finch explaining um, why, I mean, basically saying what you just said, Jace, but explaining why, in his words, he opted to, to take Rudy off the floor. Left, you sit Rudy, crawl goes back in, Rudy doesn't come back in. Yeah, the last four minutes was what was the thinking behind that? And was it just you needed? Well, they were, yeah, they were five smalls. Um, we knew that again, we were going to have a matchup somewhere and as you know, put as much shooting out there as we could. Um, just a little bit more comfortable guarding everyone on the perimeter. Um, and you know, they take nothing away from Rudy, he played a great game, he really did play a great game in a lot of ways. And we have that luxury right now. We have um, a lot, of, you know, a lot of options to finish games, and you know, we don't always just react to what the other team is doing. But we felt that we had an offensive matchup that we could also exploit. So. Jace, I, I thought um, the the final like real offensive possession for the Wolves, where it ends with Ant kind of driving and getting to getting fouled as he goes or like left handed layup right on on a drive there. I really, I really loved that possession. Uh, we, you and I have talked about how when Cat is out there and when they're trying to spread the floor of Cat kind of needing to function like Nas in those situations, which really just means doing whatever you're going to do decisively fast. And it, it I asked Finch about it after the game and he said it was a it was a play call. I didn't know that in the moment, but I was kind of like, oh, you know, good job, Cat. Like you flashed to the nail and then you got the hell out of there as soon as you didn't get the ball. And that opened up the the whole single side for Ant to be able to drive to the basket. And I just, I think in terms of late game offense and these final games of the regular season, play in playoffs, whatever, if you get into a two minute situation, I think offensively, you're going to need to go to specifically that. Like the thing, the best offense for them is going to be finding ways for Ant to get downhill with as little resistance as possible. And to that end, Rudy is kind of the primary thing that gets in the way of that specifically happening um, just by his presence in the dunker on the block, whatever it might be. And so I think, again, particularly against a, a small a small lineup like that, it makes sense. And it just has to be it has to be OK. Rudy seemed cool with it after the game, you know, because they won. Uh, but it, it just it's shaping up to me when you need offense and offense is hard to come by late in games that has to be the way you do it and Rudy's kind of like your innings eater in, in a lot of ways throughout the game playing really strong defense in the half court I, I I don't think it was one of like Rudy's best games by any means but when the Wolves were set defensively in the lane or in in the half court I, I liked how the defense looked primarily obviously like Dinwiddie some of those guys are you know strong attackers to the basket kind of big but it's shaping up to me like if i had to guess if the wolves play three more close games the rest of this season i think that's probably the way when they have to choose one of the kind of six main guys to come off of the floor i think it will be rudy and maybe if it's a bigger team you get a little bit more offense defense he doesn't sit out the whole final four minutes but that's making sense to me as the guy to take off the floor in in those situations you agree with that 
I do agree with that. I think that's the direction they'll go. I think the reason for that is like Ant's the guy who you can give the ball to and he can try to break them down off the dribble, right? And ideally, you have things where like Cat's involved in the action to just create a little bit um, of an advantage for Ant. Um, so where he's not going up against a completely set defense um, and meeting three guys at the rim. Even last night, like that was pretty contested and Bridges kind of an ill-advised late swipe down that draws the foul. But that's the whole point is you get to the rim and you try to put pressure on the defense to make a mistake, um, which Bridges did there at the very end. Like, But the reason why like Rudy can't be out there for that is because like Ant's your option A there and Ant still hasn't figured out how to use Rudy. Like mm-hmm. if, if it was a different player, say Mike Conley was the guy who was constantly beating guys off the dribble and getting to the rack at will, like then you might have Rudy out there because yeah. Rudy can be an asset in those that's situations. No question. Like he can be the drop down. He can be the you miss. He puts it back um, as we saw him do twice in the closing minute of the first half. Like Rudy can be very advantageous to have in your offense in those situations. Ant's just not good at using him. Um, Ant doesn't really. So for Ant, he's more of a clog instead of an asset. Um, and that's kind of on Ant. But that's just where he's at right now. So like if Ant is indeed going to have the ball, which I, I mean, I think we all think he should in the final minute, two minutes of the game, and he's going to attack the rack and he's not going to use Rudy. Well, then Rudy really doesn't have a point to be out there for offensive possessions. Uh, other side of the ball in after that bucket or those free throws, um, I, I thought it was interesting that, again, as we mentioned, Cat also came out of the game and Finch decided the defensive substitution was to go with five smallest himself, too. I think Torian was the one who came in uh, for Cat there. It's another one of those situations that we've seen now a handful of times this season where the Wolves are up three, um, where the other team has the ball. I think it was like 15 seconds left last night, uh, where a lot of teams would foul there. That's uh, that just to make the opponent shoot two free throws, whatever, get the ball back, play the free throw game. Uh, they opted not to do that, which I think is not the like, quote unquote analytical play. It has been something that they've uh, kind of consistently done and, and honestly been really good at, at shutting that down. I thought Ant was pretty special in that final possession defensively. You think back to that Dallas game earlier, the kind of Jaden uh Jaden Ant lockup. I don't remember what exactly the score was in the Golden State game a couple weeks ago, but it seems like this team does have that kind of light switch of trying on defense that they turn on in the the final minute or two of games, and um, and it worked last night. Uh, I'm I'm curious what that actually ends up looking like from you know a if that's something they they stick with big picture. I don't remember them fouling in that spot ever, and if you're gonna. They probably have, but I don't remember them doing it very often this season. And the last night would have been prime time to do it. I mean, like, especially after either way, like Brooklyn used their final timeout um, with prior to the first ants block shot. Like Brooklyn used their timeout before that. That's a good uh, point. so they had no timeouts to advance the ball. There's like, you know, 10 seconds left or whatever. Most teams are going to foul in that spot, especially after the ant block. Now there's like five seconds left almost everybody's gonna foul there like you know when did he catches the ball and there's four seconds left and and now if they don't get the rebound on the missed free throw they're pretty much dead in the water because they'd have to get a rebound or whatever on the other end and come down and shoot it so like that is like foul um but minnesota finch i think just kind of generally gives his guys a lot of freedom they don't seem to like to foul like yeah didn't they put him into an awkward look but like didn't he almost made that and it wasn't a terrible look um so I think if you look back on it, the analytics would definitely say foul him right there. Like Kyle Anderson, when you're behind him or whatever, like just foul him. Uh, and, but you're right. That's kind of their approach. They like to be aggressive defensively. They like to flex their kind of their versatility and, you know, their depth of like wing defenders in those moments. And um, it, 
it's paid off for them a few different times. And I can't really think of a time where somebody hit a dagger three or something where it was like, should have fouled there. So it's worked out for him. Um, Ant seems to particularly be about yeah. that. He, he said that in the locker room last night after the game, too. I'll play that clip. Played some over the years, some really good three point defense in these situations where teams need a three. And you've, you've, you've locked guys down before. What's your, what's kind of your mindset when you go I mean, into those situations? I don't even be thinking about it like as they needed three, I'd just be like, I'm going to get a stop. So I don't even, yeah, I don't even be, no, I don't really be thinking that much to be like, I'm going to take away the three ball. I just be like, I'm going to stay in front of my man and get a stop. So I just try to do that to the best of my ability. And I always tell Finchie, like, at the end of the game, if we down two or one or three, we're not fouling. We're going to get a stop, man. That's what I take. I take pride in that. Obviously, there's a distinction to be made between three or two uh, or one. And we're, the only reason, again, analytically that you would suggest it is what it is uh, up three in that sort of spot. But broader point is, is Ant um, wanting that, you know, has that belief that they, they can get that stop there. I think that's where, where Finch comes in is kind of like, a counterbalance of, hey, this is, I understand this is what we like to do there, but we need to kind of find the the, the smart path to have taken there. He, he was asked after the game, Chris asked him about, you know, not fouling in that situation. And Finch said they did talk about fouling there, um, but where Brooklyn had the ball didn't meet the threshold of where they wanted to foul. Not sure exactly what that means. So whatever, one, one, one way or the other, it, it's worked for this team. Uh, I, I don't think it's something uh, that, you know, the idea of fouling you should completely throw out. But I guess kind of my main takeaway is that this team in the final couple minutes can really lock up when they when they turn it on. Um, the one again, as, as I mentioned before, I think the interesting piece is that Rudy and Kat are not feels out like there. more. Feels like but, more like final seconds, right? Like yeah. <laughs> final minutes. Final minutes seems a little too broad uh, compared right. to what we've seen. Like whether there's that Mavericks game or last night, like it's not like they're getting a ton of stops in the final minutes. But in the last possession, right? Like, then they're in. What What do you uh, What do you make of just Cat's ability to overall kind of defend right now? I mean, we've consistently seen him get since he's returned get taken out of the game in not just in late final second situations. They They have subbed him out. At for a defensive sub consistently, and in my memory at least, uh, since he's he's been back for these five six games, whatever it, it has been, um, you know we know he's coming back from from injury to some extent. But where are you just kind of overall on on what Cat has been able to do offensively? We'll talk about or defensively. We'll talk about the offense uh, shortly here too. But what what do you think about his defense? Yeah, I mean, it's been okay. Uh, there are certainly possessions like in transition. It's not very good right now. Nobody's is, but like. Even in the half court, it's been, I think it's been fine. Um, I think he's tried to like be intentional about what he's doing on that end and follow the scheme, but I just think he's not in great condition right now. And you see that far more on the defensive end of the court. Like you cannot be in great condition and still knock down a bunch of shots. Um, and he's so skilled that that kind of takes over. But I think we're seeing that lack of physical fitness right now show itself more on the defensive end. And as much as anything, like they just have better defenders on their roster now with like Gobert and Kyle and yeah. whatnot. So just being smart with subs, it's like, well, why wouldn't we take? cat out if you're finch i think in those spots when you have significantly better defensive players to go to where maybe you didn't have that in the past right additional kind of defensive note that i just wanted to to get to at this in this pot at some point uh as it pertains to Jaden mcdaniels uh he had zero fouls in this game uh i don't know how many times that's happened all season i would uh, <laughs> it feels like none i'm sure it's a small handful at most. Um, it, it's 
it was like Brooklyn's an interesting team to match up with defensively, right? In terms of they're always going to kind of have four, at least four guys out there spreading the floor who are also like still kind of tall, like Cam Johnson, Bridges, Finney Smith, like six, eight guys. Um, I thought it was interesting how they matched up with that Brooklyn team in that they opted to put Ant on Dinwiddie and McDaniels on Bridges, which means McDaniels isn't in his normal uh, position defensively at the point of attack guarding the ball. Dinwiddie initiates their offense. And I wondered if that connected to, I meant to ask Mitch about that. I, I forgot to after the game, but I wonder if that's just, it's kind of been a theory I've had if, if that's when Jaden and you're fearing his foul trouble, if that's a way that you can kind of mitigate some of that risk is by putting Ant or by putting Conley on the ball and keeping Jaden kind of out of the volume of situations that it seems like uh, he fouls in. It obviously worked last night. I think a big part of that too was they were comfortable putting Conley on Cam Johnson and having him chase him around rather than that being Cat or something like that, like we've seen, we saw Cat do against Cam Johnson when he was um, in Phoenix. But I mean, th- this is a way to preserve some foul trouble for for Jaden, right? Like, what, what's the opportunity cost there of not having him on the ball, though? Yeah, I, the, the point you made about Cam Johnson, like, that was that is the advantage of having, like, a Mike Conley over, like, a D'Lo. It's like, Conley has become their primary chase guy. Um, and they didn't really have yep. very many good guys on the roster at that before. Finch even talked about that at the middle point of the season, just not a strength of theirs. Conley's very good at it. He's very smart. Um, he he maintains the proper spacing. He knows, like, the angles. And so that puts Cat in so many more advantageous positions versus kind of clunkily trying to do something that he, frankly, just doesn't have the body to do and shouldn't be asked to do. So mm-hmm. that's very helpful. Um, I, I think in terms of Jaden, I mean, I think we see it last night. Like, no fouls, he plays 41 minutes. Yeah. Like, I think that is how much they would like to use him. I think that is, like, where Finch is at, especially in, like, big time, we got to win these games, playoff games. Like, they want to play him. They want him on the court almost all the time. And it's generally fouls is the reason why he cannot be. Um, and so I, I think Brooklyn's a different one in that, Frankly, like Bridges and Dinwiddie, just in terms of pure like shot attempts are always going to be pretty similar. And like, I think a lot of people would say like Dinwiddie is a good creator on the ball, but Bridges is like the more potent offensive threat. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it almost just makes sense to do that there. And that like Bridges is the guy you're maybe trying to mitigate more um, to to best succeed against them. Uh, I'm trying to think of other matchups where that even is relevant yeah, like what, really... what what potential matchup here do you point at in the playoffs or play in or anything where that could line up again yeah well i mean i, I get and we'll, we'll talk about this again a little bit later too i think you know if a playoff series is going to happen memphis is the is the most likely outcome there right um the, the difference in that matchup now in terms of how you can match up defensively is you could put conley on jaw right rather than Last year, you couldn't do that with D'Angelo Russell or Jordan McLaughlin when he was in the game. In those situations, you kind of had to put Jaden there. I, w- I would assume you still would get a lot of Jaden on jaw because that... And know, even Ant did a really nice job on jaw in the playoffs last year. But but I guess, I mean, and I'm just spitballing here. I, I, I actually think that would be a, a matchup you could do that. I mean, you put maybe put Conley on Bain to chase uh, a little bit more. Uh, you could put Ant on jaw and then you're wasting somebody on Brooks. Yeah, I, I, he's maybe a lurker. I mean, but Brooks kind of like but that's where I think you could go. McDaniel's to... on jaw a lot, um, mm-hmm. and then, but the foul trouble, I guess. Yeah, like 
I don't know. Right. I just think at that point you're not totally using McDaniel's first defense and stuff if he ends up on Brooks at all. But but I, I think that's the I question though. Is it's like, are we sure that Jaden loses that much defensive value if he is in an off ball situation? I mean that you do make up for some of that one for sure in an additional rim protector out there, and then maybe you make up for it in. You know, if the theory holds true that he's less likely to foul in those situations, we know foul trouble really gets him out of a rhythm. I don't know. I, I think it's something if you're Mike Nori or Chris Finch, like you, you do have to kind of consider. But let's uh, I, I don't I don't think they did that last night, though. I mean, putting him on Mikhail Bridges, yeah. like they're easily their most potent offensive weapon. Mm-hmm. I don't think signals a shift in that philosophy. That, that That's a good point. I guess. Yeah, I'm just talking about can it be a tool that sure. they, they use at different times? Uh, let's grab our first break here and then let's uh, let's talk about let's talk about cat. Today's show is brought to you by Land and Lore, and the people at Land and Lore wanted me to tell you that they get tired, super tired. Tired of always looking like, but life hits hard. They're dads with kids that don't sleep and with wives that are constantly mad at them for things they didn't realize they did. Plus, maybe they stayed up all night rewatching last year's play-in game versus the Clippers because it's thus far the highlight of their adult lives. But what's worse than feeling like is looking like it, because when you look like everyone can see it, and no matter how much coffee or Celsius they inhale, they still walk into work looking like cave dwellers. That's why Land and Lore, they created the energy drink for your face. So no matter how you feel, you don't have to look like it. What's even better, because they love the Timberwolves, is they're giving fans 20% off the brand. Just go to Amazon.com and search for Land and Lore face products and use promo code 20AntMan to get 20% off. Land and Lore, proven to help you look awake no matter how long of a bender you've been on. Today's show is brought to you by Aura. You've seen Aura's brand plastered all over Timberwolves games and broadcasts from the jersey patch to the brand's name being in the background of all the press conferences. And from that, you probably know that Aura is a digital security company, but you might not know what it actually functionally looks like to use a digital security company. That's why Aura would love for you to try the product out and to try it for free. If you go to Aura.com slash Dane and use that exact URL, A-U-R-A dot com, Slash Dane, Aura will give you, as Wolves fans, a two-week free trial of their product. You might be thinking that you don't need to have your personal information protected, and even more, you might feel like that's something you can't afford right now. So I think this is a good way to try it out, figure out if this is a product that is for you. Because again, you can try it for free. So familiarize yourself with Aura by starting a two-week trial at aura.com slash Dane. Many of you do a great job of supporting advertisers on this show, which I'm really grateful for, as that's what makes this podcast happened. Would love for you to check out Aura's digital security. Again, Aura.com slash Dane. All right, we are back with uh, Jace Frederick from the Pioneer Press. Uh, Jace, it was uh, after, you know, one of Cat's worst games uh, in, in a long time against in that Portland game, only taking three shots. Of course, we've talked about that uh, exhaustively <laughs> um, over over these past few days. He, he comes back. He's obviously a major... Uh, focal point of of the of the offense last night as many post-ups for him as I can remember in a long long time which you know connects to to the opponent there too uh but they they're still searching for ways to effectively integrate cat into the op, into a ball movement offense that maintains some flow while also using him and I I think it was interesting that you know they do win the game and the way that they go to cat is in kind of the stickiest cat way possible, which is post-up situations. I thought it was up and down 
you know, kind of over the course of the game of how much that took away from the half court offense versus how effective it was. I think in the most important times of the game, it's what they really leaned on uh, in the fourth quarter. And, and it was effective. I, I, I asked Finch about it, but before uh, I play that clip, what, what do you what do you think about that that balance of finding Cat within the flow and where to find him with the ball, whether it be top of the key, you know, kind of the nail, the block, like what, how, how do you maximize cat while also not massively minimizing the, the ball movement flow of the offense that we know is kind of integral to the, the success of this team's offensive functionality? Yeah. I mean, I think cat post-ups doesn't have to be super sticky in that, Hey, look, if you get the ball down to him and they don't double, well now cat can just go quickly and score. And it's like, Okay, you're not going to pass that up. I mean, nobody's going to pass up that kind of instant offense and you'll just take it. Like everybody else will be like, okay. And you just prepare then for when the double comes. Cat has to get off it quickly. Now the ball is moving. It should be shifting. It should be finding different guys. And that's kind of just the starter for it. Like when teams would blitz Ant, that was the starter for the entire offense. You know, like it's it's doing that. And if you can do it with quick decision making, it can generate really good offense. Where that has like a rhythm and a movement to it, um, it just takes a few seconds and one action of cat in the post to get there. I actually think the stickiest thing is when cat gets the ball up top in a single, hmm. like, and there's nobody, no double or anything. Um, somebody's up tight on him. He kind of holds the ball out and I kind of thinks about how he wants to attack his guy. I think that's the stickiest, but I think the post up, um, when you do it on the block, when you draw the doubles, that can be the starter of good offense if it's quick decision-making. And then I think late in games when you can do it from the nail, that's going to get sticky. Uh, because I don't think any double's going to come and Cat's going to kind of work the floor, but it's hard to score late in games and that's not a bad way to get it. Yeah, it's it's all... there. There's another layer of context here too with Cat of we don't really n- know where he is exactly physically in terms of... He's, he's not just back and doing exactly what he did in the final 10 games of last season, right? You, you can't... What I'm seeing is, you know, maybe lacking a little bit of burst to have that off yeah, the dribble sure. attack is what maybe to your point is making it seem or look a little bit stickier uh, in, in those type of situations. It kind of feels like cat in the post is the best place that you can, that you can kind of get to him being, you know, that potentially dominant offensive force in that sort of way. I do think ultimately you're going to need to mix in uh, different sort of spots, but I, I think you know, in, in theory, whether it's physical fitness, it's it's comfort with the calf, it's the calf continuing to heal, whatever. Um, you do need to find cat in in multiple positions and and be intentional about matchup to matchup, game to game, you know, where where exactly that is. You know, cat talked after the game, you know, kind of clarifying his statement after the Lakers game about um, you know, he said he had to talk to everyone and the team at practice about, you know, how to use him, how they need to be doing all those sort of things. He, he, he shared with us in the locker room that, that him and Finch had a conversation. He also talked a little bit about uh, the calf. So I'll just, uh, I'll start by playing that clip. Finch was saying it was on him to your three shot attempts on Sunday. Did you and he chatting, chat about things after that? Oh, for sure. We had a conversation. So we had a conversation and, uh, you know, but we, you know, that's what, you know, we have a great relationship, so that conversation obviously paid dividends tonight, and we got us, you know, had a different, you know, we had a different, we had a good conversation about philosophies, and we got it done today. Ton of post-ups tonight. Is there an area on the floor that you're feeling most comfortable working out of offensively as you come back? Um, 
you, you know, my calf is, is it, I'm able to play. It's not fully closed, so I'm still trying to get my leverage back. Every day I'm getting it closer and closer to that 100%. So, um, but I feel comfortable everywhere. I, I think um, today was a great day for me to really get that post work, you know, in a game. You know, I, I think this is the most comfortable I felt in the post since I came back right now. So um, it was great. I was able to take um, this little, um, I don't even know what they say, some medical calf thing I've been wearing under my tights. So it's been kind of weird playing with it. I never had to. It kind of does a little different thing than I've ever been used to. So being able to take that off today helped a lot also. So, Jace, that's that's Kat's perspective on, on, on kind of uh, all of that. Uh, I want your medical diagnosis. It? What does he mean when he say that the calf's not all the way closed? The the terror? <laughs> I... <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't either. I'm not, I mean, like, it doesn't, I'm, I'm sure not 100%, but I'm just like trying to envision that. And I'm like, well, that sounds bad. That <laughs> doesn't does sound, doesn't sound great. I, I think, though, like, again, what, whatever he's going to say there, I, I think to our eye test, those of us who particularly, you know, watch Cat last year throughout his career, like, he, what stands out to me is he doesn't have the same burst. I, I yes. don't know how much of that is the calf, again, versus, physical fitness so i think again like the the brooklyn matchup kind of asked for that with with smaller matchups but my inclination is to say that's the best place to go with cat right now is is in the post i always have concerns about the doubles and and how he is able to do that i thought it was interesting and quite frankly not a good decision by brooklyn to to not do that uh in in crunch time last night to not bring that but that was over. the nail like it is really hard. Finch has even said this when other teams do it. Like they ran it, wasn't it out always of the nail. It wasn't always the nail. It was it was block post up. Yeah, I agree. It's you can't double you, you can't double at the nail. I, I think he tried to go to the nail sometimes, and yes, in those, but it was I'm talking about on the block, not bringing doubles there. Particularly when it's Royce O'Neal as the primary matchup on it. Okay. Yeah, no, I don't know. I agree you with you probably rewatched I, I haven't rewatched it. I haven't rewatched it either. Okay. I just I, I in my memory it was all from the nail. Um Okay, well, maybe, I, maybe I could be wrong too. Maybe, maybe I'm frankly wrong like it could be starting from the nail, and then like they're jostling for position, and who knows where he actually ends up catching the ball, yeah, uh, <laughs> or the post, and, and he pops out to the nail. Like, who knows? But I agree with you. Like, I and that's what's interesting to me. Maybe not necessarily over these final two games, but in a play-in game, um, in a playoff series, like we're going to see that again. I almost guarantee it. Um, especially if Cat has a nice couple games here and he kind of displays himself again to be that scoring threat that you need to account for first and foremost. Um, then we're going to see more of that doubling again, um, no matter who you have for matchups. And and how does Cat react to that? How does Minnesota play off of that? Those are things that we were curious about at the start of the season and we and we haven't even really got a chance to look at. Like, how, how do they play off of that with Rudy and everything? Um, Frankly, the doubles last night, it was more of like a help double in, mm -hmm. in like the third quarter Late, when, yeah. when Minnesota was struggling. Um, and and then the, the guy who was guarding the opposite corner, which was often Jaden, would come down in front of Rudy. Um, so there was like kind of three guarding two and Minnesota didn't handle it very well. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see now, like when different matchups, Brooklyn was just like, we've got these physical wings. We'll just have them guard cat one on one. Uh, late in the game, I thought Dorian Finney-Smith was doing a really nice job, and they put Royce O'Neal on him at the end, and that made I didn't get that. No sense. He's just not big enough. Like Finney-Smith is big. Like Dorian Finney-Smith is really big. Yeah, like he was a he's a perfect matchup for Cat. And then Cat like made the this like, Remember when we would always talk about the Batum yes, on Cat? Yeah, yeah, that's a potential for a playing game too. Should mm -hmm. that come about? The Clippers obviously they've given Cat fits before, but like 
Finney Smith was playing really good defense on Cat whenever he's matched up with them. Most of Cat's production came against like Claxton. Um, and then Cat hit like this 18 footer the jumper, like the ball pops out and one falls foot, back yeah. in. Yeah, off one foot. And then Brooklyn's like, oh, Royce O'Neal. And I, Royce O'Neal seems like the kind of guy who would be like, I got him. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, and, because Royce seems to have that defensive confidence because he was the only defender in Utah. So now he's convinced mm-hmm. he's like an elite defender when my eye test says he's not. Uh, but uh, it worked out really well for Minnesota because Cat just ate Royce O'Neal's lunch in the last few minutes of the game. To get away from the last few minutes of the game, but to keep talking about offense, and this is a little bit more broader, not connected specifically to the Brooklyn game. Um, we've just had a, a strong theme, whether it be at the beginning of the season or in these games since Cat got back, where when not only Cat and Rudy are on the floor together, but also Ant, they are really struggling to to generate offense at, at an efficient clip. And I, again, you know, when we talk about players coming in and out of the game uh, late, but it, it's getting to the point where at least for this season, to me, you need to break that up as, as much as possible. Um, they it is just it, the the stickiest possessions, the most broken possessions seem to happen when you have your three best players on the floor. And, and you know, and that's a unfortunate reality. But I think we do have a decent enough like four or five hundred minute sample size now of that. And, and the offensive numbers being really bad, to be fair, the defense has has been good, as it just kind of always is, uh, no matter the lineup combination when Rudy's on the floor, uh, again, in terms of like points allowed per possession. But that is, that's the thing, even coming out of a a win last night, and I think pretty strong offensive execution down the stretch, that I have big picture as as a concern with this team offensively, as they do go into these final, uh, you know, the New Orleans game in game 82, playing game in the playoffs is, can you generate offense with that group? It's, they have not found ways to be able to do that, and I asked Finch about a pregame and he was like, well, we just need to have space around the rim. So Ant and Cat can get to the basket. That's the way we generate offense in that. And obviously you got Rudy who can't play anywhere other than by the rim there too, which again, to the final play where Ant draws the foul on bridges and is able to do that. Like if Rudy's in the game and Claxton's in the game or even, you know, Finney Smith is on him. That's another body that is much easily over there for help. And, that's the con- that's just the the really concerning part to this whole configuration right now to me, but particularly the offense. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, like I said, it's all about like if Rudy's going to be in the game, you have to know that you're going to drive into traffic and be looking at where is Rudy. Like, did I draw that help defender? If I didn't, then I've just got to go finish it. And if I did, then I've got to drop off to Rudy or see like did they cave down in on Rudy and now there's an open shooter. Like, it just adds so many more layers to the decision making versus like Ant usually driving in and going like I know I'm gonna take it here um, because there's not a rim protector in position and I know there won't be one. But you just um, can't whine about it, man. You, you just can't. Like, you need to know that if Rudy's on the floor, if you're Cat or if you're Ant, that like. This is going to be harder for us to score here. I need to also acknowledge that it's making it, it a lot to be harder. harder either. You know, like mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be. Uh, but it's going to always be some degree harder if sure. Rudy's by the rim. I, what I'm saying is like you can't. It looks get, pretty easy when some other guys are driving in and, and dropping off. But yeah, yeah. I, I just I think you need to if your cat and aunt know that it's going to be a little bit harder to score yourself, but it's going to be a lot harder for the other team to score two. I mean, you know, everybody's happy and cool in the locker room after the game. They, they get the win. 
I saw a lot of like little mini bickerings going on in, in the middle of the game. And that's not an unhealthy, totally unhealthy no, sort of thing. Yeah. But, NBA basketball, big game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think there's got to be some sort of kind of wiring or rewiring specifically in Ant and Cat's head that like, yeah, offensively, it's going to be a little bit harder here. And uh, just not letting not letting that frustration make the offense even less efficient because i think those things can can kind of can kind of snowball in that way and you can be whatever like question the big picture of the fit of all this and that but for now right now um i think it's really important to just sort of be able to embrace that mentally because it's it's the reality of the situation that those are your three best players and you're going to play together even if you're staggering you're still going to play it together a lot yeah, I don't disagree. And like you see now, the the games where they win and they beat like decent teams, they're doing it like 105 to 100. You know, like that's kind of the that's the way it's happening. That's the way it's going to be. That's your path forward to any success you have in the postseason. Like you've just got to you've just got to kind of deal with it. Like this is who you are and it might not be who you've been like cat and ant are not used to playing on these teams. Um, And yet it is a formula for success. Uh, I think veterans probably understand that um, and they understand maybe that yeah this is a formula of success that that translates to like road games and whatnot and that's why they're having success there as well um because that is the type of basketball that travels and it can be really successful if you can tighten up you know turnovers and and transition defense and whatnot too like you can even get better at what you're currently doing but you're not going to be the team where you know you're scoring and scoring 40 points um in in successful games because it is going to have to be more balanced. Like with Rudy, you have to be able to use Rudy. Like it's, and possessions are going to be a little bit more clogged sometimes. And that's okay. Just take care of the ball and get the best shot you can and then get back. You know, like you've got to be okay with just being solid. And, and that might mean that offense is harder, but just be smart. Um, like you said, like you might not end up with the layup at the rim. You might have to take like a contested two, but then take it, try to make it and get back. Just be solid um, and, and understand that your bread and butter is frankly coming in your half court defense. So lean on that. Uh, Jace, Britt, Kyle, and I, I'm going to do a little plug for our Falling Knife uh, event here before we, we get to uh, our, our final break. Britt, Kyle, and I will be at Falling Knife on, I guess, well, today's Wednesday, so tomorrow, right? Is today Wednesday? Correct. <laughs> yes, Correct. yes. Tomorrow we will be doing a, a live show at, uh, at Falling Knife Brewing. Um, I'm Kyle and I and Britt are going to get there about six o'clock uh, to hang out a little bit before we record. I would love uh, for a bunch of you to, to come and, and hang out before, uh, just kind of mingle um but then also come and have some questions to ask we'll have a an extra microphone uh to to have questions that will you know we'll also be recording it live and and playing it on the podcast afterwards but we just uh yeah i mean it's a it's been a weird season but this is kind of uh what it all comes down to and uh, we thought this would be a good time to to get everybody together so again thursday uh come at like six o'clock get a get a table hang out uh, we'll do a live show at seven and uh yeah, and, and talk about where there is where this Wolves team is at. That's Falling Knife Brewing Company in Northeast Minneapolis. We'll take a break. We'll be back with Jace for a final segment. Today's show is sponsored by Shady Rays. Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and much more. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. It's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. 
Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back after you purchase. With Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they have donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. If you don't love them, exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com, use promo code DaneMore for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 20,000 people. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we are back with Jace Frederick from the Pioneer Press. Final segment here. Jace, let's just kind of bounce around miscellaneous uh, here with kind of where this team is at um, in the standings. We can hit on a couple other like little things. I feel like if you come on the day after Jordan McLaughlin gets pulled out of the rotation, uh, we got we to gotta talk about that uh, too. Uh, but let's, uh, yeah, let's just start with uh, where you are thinking about this team uh, with, with two games to go, um, where they kind of just the importance of the 9-10 versus the 7-8. I think there's a, still a, a small chance uh, of the of the six happening. But what, what what do those things, what do those different placements in the play-in playoffs mean uh, in terms of this season? Uh, it, you know, functionally getting into a, a actual playoff series and also in terms of kind of big picture because, you know, right or wrong, what, what sticks, as we know, is... What seed were you? You know, that's kind of how you remember the season. It, it, we we quickly forget the context of the year and and all that sort of stuff. Wherever they finish, that's what we'll be like. Oh, they were the nine seed. They went forty one and forty one, or they're the seven seed, and uh, that sort of thing. What what is uh what is the importance of this? And and you've had more time to kind of look at the standings than I have this morning. Um, where where are we just where are we at with uh, where this team falls in the standings and, and what that means. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely somebody who does not look at like what seed were you? What like you're either going to finish with probably 41 or 42 wins. Like that's who you are. You were a 500 team. Like that doesn't matter if that got you up to six or if that was, you know, eight or nine. Like to me, that doesn't matter. It's what now what you do from there and how you look in the play in the playoffs. More yes. more specifically, the playoffs. Like how do you stack up? How how are you able to match up? How are you able to scheme? What can you do with your pieces? Like that matters because that kind of defines who you are. Um, and as we saw in last year's playoffs, like. It, it definitely like their identity throughout the entire year kind of showed itself in the best and worst ways in the playoffs because that's what the playoffs do. Like that defines who you are. Um, and it usually is a pretty good 
indication of who you were all season. That's what I look at. I don't like, I'm not going to define this season based off of, well, they finished with the six with 42 wins or that's a great year. Oh, they, they were nine and they won 41 games. That's a bad year. Like that is just, that's silly. Um, but you look at it now and it's like, it's, it very much to me, if everything plays out chalk and we know it doesn't, especially not in the West this year with these <laughs> inconsistent basketball teams, but, uh, I think there's an excellent chance that on Sunday they are playing the Pelicans um, with a win equaling a number seven seed and a loss equaling a number nine seed. Now, there are a variety of other things that could happen to where they could be potentially playing to get up to the six seed. And that would be like maybe a five percent chance of that happening. And on the other end of five percent chance is probably that they are that that game means nothing in Minnesota is already the nine seed. Like those things are all still possible, but I think the most likely thing is a win and you're probably going to be seven if you go two and oh down the stretch here. And if you lose to the Pelicans, you're probably going to be nine. Um kind of regardless of what else happens, I that is the odds on potential for that Sunday game. I, I think your point about judging this season based on the playoffs is is the right way. Not not, not forgetting what happened, but like if you want to salvage some positivity in the memory of this season, I think you do that by getting to an actual playoff series. And, and even if you lose it, you know, playing two or three games to your identity, like your good identity, right. And, and getting two or three wins in that, I think for me, that will do a lot in shaping how I think about this team going into the off season in terms of, you know, moves they make or don't make. Uh, but also just in terms of how I, will project the team out for next season. Like you said, with the Memphis series, I thought that was extremely indicative last year. It obviously they made a huge move. <laughs> to yes, the roster. Based on that, they literally, literally traded for Rudy Gobert based off that. They I mean, did. That... And, and so, yeah, I, I just, that, that's what I think about with this and, and just needing to have that, the, the urgency of that they didn't have in the Portland game, but having that urgency against San Antonio on Saturday. And obviously the urgency needs to be there on, on Sunday against the Pelicans because if you get that seven seed, your likelihood of getting to the playoffs and having the chance to actually show that identity, those positive parts of your identity, comes up so much more likely. I mean, the the nine, if you're the nine or the, has a nine or ten, I, I mean, maybe, one, I think maybe... You're not going to be the ten. You're not going to be the well, ten. Well, it's, yeah. just, it's just, it's going to be significantly harder to get into the playoffs an actual playoff series. And I think that is the way to quote unquote, have a chance at, at salvaging the really rocky parts of this season, like play a good play. I mean, people aren't going to forget about all the losses to Detroit and Houston and Charlotte and all, all that. But if you, if you somehow won a playoff series, or even if you took like Memphis or Denver to six or seven, and it looks good, that can, that can cover up a, a lot of that. And not, and not in like a, a masking sort of way it can it can make you again believe going forward that there's more here than maybe we currently believe or certainly than what we believed on on Sunday after after the Portland loss so yeah I'm 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 with that a hundred percent can't lay an egg man can't lay lay an egg against the the Spurs on on Saturday yeah yeah the Spurs one it is like if the Pelicans and they are favored uh I think it's tonight they play somebody uh memphis um yes. and memphis played last night um and so did the pelicans but if the pelicans win tonight and the pelicans win on friday then minnesota will have to win saturday to have sunday's game mean something okay. um otherwise they will pr- 
be locked in uh, to the nine if they lose to the Spurs and the Pelicans go two and zero. So like, and then otherwise, like you have to win that Spurs game so that you are probably playing for the seven on Sunday and not playing for the eight, mm-hmm. which obviously is the difference between hosting or going on the road for that seven eight game, which not as big of a distinction, but certainly matters. Um, to talk about Jordan McLaughlin, but also to just kind of, I, I think him, him not being in the rotation is is a way to talk about the rotation, right? Yeah. Um, I still think we don't really know if, like, they do get a 2-7 series against Memphis, who's going to play, right? Right. Um, it's, we don't, we know Nas is out. Uh, he would be a, a piece in that rotation, but basically everyone outside of the top six is feeling expendable right now. Even, you know, even Torian Prince, who continues to struggle, yeah. and I think a lot of that, may, maybe less so last night, but, a lot of it has to do with he got he got hit with that illness hard um, and and just has not looked anything like himself. Obviously, like the last game he played before the illness was that Knicks game where he scores 35 and makes eight threes. Uh, but I think what you're going to get out of Torian Prince is kind of turned into a question right now. Nikhil Alexander-Walker feels like he's kind, I mean, he's kind of in the rotation every night. He totally usurped J-Mac. Uh, J-Mac didn't play at all against Brooklyn. Finch was like, that doesn't mean J-Mac's for sure out of the rotation when I asked him about it after the game. Um, and I believe that because yeah, Brooklyn is a switch-heavy team. With well, I, I understand <laughs> I, that, yeah, but like, yeah. but like, usually like, I believe Finch when he says things. And, like, mm-hmm. and I think listening to Finch is like the best. If you just listen to what he says in his press conferences, you have a very good idea of where the team is going. Or Dude, what they that is do. so true. I like, he basically said pregame, we are going to post up cat a hundred times. Sure. Yeah. Like, it, like yeah. there is, if you listen to this stuff, like he, he's not, I mean, to all coaches, to some extent, so you have to extent, you have to like veil some of your stuff, but yeah, Fitch for sure. Like there is their accuracy or like they are, they tell the future of, of what is going to happen too. So I thought that was, because I didn't know, like, I mean, you could make the case that J-Mac shouldn't play anymore, given yeah, yeah. What, and, it, and, what it looked like. And, and it's possible they look at it and they go, actually, we think this just makes the most sense. Yes. But I do think when you look at Brooklyn and you look at, they switch everything and they've got a bunch of big guards. I don't know who J-Mac would guard um, on mm-hmm. that lineup. And I don't think they did either. And that's what we talked about last week. Like, there are certain matchups where it's like, who can J-Mac guard out here so you don't play him? Brooklyn is one that makes a ton of sense mm-hmm. of if you're not going to play him in a game. That one is high on the list, and certainly he wasn't playing well before that. That probably made Finch's decision easier. Um, but like the Spurs game, I actually would be surprised if he doesn't play in the yeah. Spurs game. Yeah, and Finch is also good kind of about, in even with Nikhil over the past week of like, all right, you're still getting you're still getting a shift yep. in this game because you haven't right. been real. It, it's when a player is out of the rotation for multiple games, maybe like three games in a row, you're like, all right, you're out of the rotation. That's a thing. Yeah, like we, yeah, exactly. We, Austin we, Rivers or whatever. Like I know mm-hmm. he's been out too, but like he's not in the rotation. No, that is it. That is a good example. We saw that with Jalen uh, at, at other times this season. Actually, Jalen, like, I mean, say he is healthy and can play on Saturday or on Sunday. Is is he in the rotation? Good question. Don't know. Yeah, uh, I think yeah, I know. I don't know. It's it, and it is going to be like that's going to be these last two games and just the importance of them. Like, say Minnesota needs to win Saturday. Um, like I said, to to have Sunday's game mean something, uh, I'm going to tighten it down to a playoff rotation against like the Spurs. But that you're not going to have much choice. And then I think Jalen might be out, you know, and you might be down to eight. And who those eight are, like, you know, we'll see. Uh, but 
I think we're going to get a real good view on how Minnesota views their players here um, as these games continue to be so massively important. Are you surprised at all? And this is getting in the weeds a little bit. Are you surprised at all that Luca Garza hasn't been in the mix with with Nas out? I'm not saying I necessarily am, but I think some people have kind of been expecting Luca to have a, a role on this team. No, no, not in game. If it was in like game 50, maybe. Uh, yeah. But I think we're just at the point in the season. Like Kyle Anderson played 17 straight minutes to close last night's game. That and is he like played 17 Finch straight Trust- minutes in the last game too, in the first half. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like that is that is who Finch trusts more than anything. Like he'll take whatever Kyle Anderson does is like, well, that's the result we will live with. Um, and and that's like if Kyle's going to play 17 straight minutes, like Luca Garza's not seeing the court. And I just think Finch is like, if we're going down this season, we're going to go down with Kyle Anderson on the court. And if Rudy Gobert and Cat are healthy too. Kyle's going to eat up all the rest of like the quote unquote mm-hmm. big minutes. Um, so I'm not surprised at all. Like I said, if it was the middle, middle of the season, then I bet they would give Lucas some run, at least in like the first half of games. But these matter too much. They're going to go down with their guys. So if, if Kat or Rudy are in foul trouble or I mean, they both had two fouls in the first quarter last night and I was and Finch left Kat out there to close the final minute of it. Um I mean, and that, yeah. that's a that's a possibility in a playoff series. Like I, that's what I'm saying. Do you think if it you would be Luka? extreme? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they'll go Kyle at the five and, you know, TP at the four for more than a few minutes. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think they would. I think they would run Luke out there in the worst of worst foul situations for a a couple minutes to close a quarter or something. But what's interesting is the two way element of it. Like, unless they cut someone and give Luca an actual contract, that isn't even an option come playoff time. And again, I know this is like in, in the weeds there a little bit, too, but. I, I don't know. Over the course of a seven-game playoff series, I would almost expect there's multiple games where Cat and or Rudy are in foul trouble, and you do need to go to a third center. And yeah, it's I guess it's uh, Kyle is obviously a better option than Luca is. I, I'm, I'm not saying he isn't, uh, but I, I don't know. We, we've seen very few of of Anderson, very few minutes of Anderson. Yeah, doing in some that. opposing lineups, you couldn't do that. Yeah. You just couldn't go. You, it's not even Kyle at the five. It's then who's at the four. That doesn't right. work. Either. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know. I wouldn't be, I understand what you're saying. And I, I don't know, like, I don't exactly, you know, the financial ramifications of that more than I do of like cutting somebody and converting Lucas contract. Um, you could certainly do it with a number of guys on this team who are not going to see minutes mm-hmm. um, in the playoffs. Like you could just decide like, yep, we are way more likely to play Luca than Nate Knight and move on from there. I mean, you really, or Rivers. In, or rivers, like there are a bunch of options you could go with there. Um, so, yeah, like I don't know exactly what that looks like in terms of like cap penalty and like what what that their actual opportunity cost there is, or like what the financial cost of them doing so is. But I agree with you as you go into a seven game series, you'd like to have Luca Garza on your roster versus some of the guys that you just know aren't going to be pieces for that. Right. Yeah, and it goes back to it being a bummer that that Nas is out, and I think again in a playoff series you'll probably feel that. And you'd be like, yes, Damn, it'd yep. be nice to have. You need that burst, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. <laughs> at, well, at minimum. Well, yeah, foul trouble or not, like they right. they they could use that. Uh, I heard that Nas is getting his surgery today on on Wednesday, and then it's you know, so it would be. I mean, not, Nas would maybe be back like late in a second round series. Like, I don't think that's something that people should really be holding on to as as something that that comes back. I know Woj reported that six-week timetable i've heard it could be like five um but that's that's way you know that's 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 way down the road here i just i I don't know i i haven't really 
talked about Nas not being there and how to replace him. Well, we've talked about like Cat replacing him, but there's also the idea of of a third center that seems super in the weeds. But I think there, there's a little bit of uh, value uh, in that there. But anyways, uh, give me your uh, give me your prediction on on how these try and try and call it exactly how these how these last two games go, what seed they are in, and who they will be playing in their play-in game. Um, I think they will go two and zero. I do think that, um, but it does depend on, like, especially for, like the Spurs. Like, I don't know if Keldon Johnson's going to play Saturday. Like, I mean, I I pick the Wolves no matter what, but like Devin Vassell, I don't think they've like shut him down. Like, he's definitely not playing. Like, so the Spurs roster is one the of those Utah where it's, like, jazzing it. Where it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know who's playing and who's not. Like, yeah. they're the games in like Austin, Texas, as like a different site that they've done kind of all year. They like spread out some games, like, yeah. You know, so maybe they don't want to like put a, yeah, a terrible team. product on the court, you I know? Thought like, about that. um, so I don't know. Um, and, and it's Pop's last home game of the season, I think. Like, I think they're on the road someday. I don't know. Like, so. But I, I do think the Wolves will win. Like they sh- they they should win. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm never going to predict losses in these games. Um, even if they've booted those types of games all season, I think they would beat the Pelicans. I do think it's interesting. I don't think he's going to play. But like Zion's to the point where like he's done some light three on three work from what I've seen, and is going to be reevaluated at the end of this week. Like, is there any chance that if that game is super important Sunday, Zion Williamson's on the court? I don't think so. But like. <laughs> You know, who's to say? I mean, these things can turn really quick where, like, there's no steam of guys playing, and boom, like, the day before, it's like, he is barring a setback, he's going to return. You mean, like, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, things can kind of turn on a dime like that. So if we see Zion tweet out, like, a caged lion or something, you know, like, who knows? (laughs) Uh, So, but I I would guess, as things stand right now, that the Wolves would go 2-0. I think Sunday's game would be very competitive, but I just think they're just better than the Pelicans mm-hmm. without Zion. Um, I think the Pelicans are losing a little steam right now. Um, they put together a really nice charge. Uh, and then, so I think they'll be the 7. Um, I think it'll be against the Clippers. I know the Clippers are favored to beat the Lakers tonight by like 4.5 points, which I thought was surprising, but I do think that the Lakers are a better team than the Clippers, and I think the Clippers will end up being the 7 or 8. It's just to me, like, the Clippers then would have to lose probably to Phoenix on Sunday. And then that comes down to is Phoenix, does Phoenix play their guys when Phoenix knows they're the four seed at that point. So like, we'll go two and zero. they're either seven or eight against the Clippers. I think if we're rank, this is what you would want as the wolves, right? You're, if you're choosing between the Clippers, Pelicans and Lakers in a seven, eight playoff matchup, the preference, I don't think would be they Clippers. can really get the. I don't think they can really, I think the path to them getting the Pelicans at a seven, eight, I think is really small. I think the wolves are, or Pelicans will be the nine. Okay. Well, let's just say if in theory, I, I don't know. I haven't looked at it. What, how would you rank those of best matchup to worst matchup between Clippers, Pelicans, Lakers? Oh, I'd rather play the Pelicans over those other teams. Um, over the Clippers too? Seven, eight games. Yeah. Even over the Clippers. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We, we agree. Lakers is the worst though. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I think, Anthony Davis does provide some issues for them. Like just generally speaking, like what the Lakers were able to do in terms of like ramping up defensive physicality, which only stagnates Minnesota's offense more like mm-hmm. LeBron James and any one game thing like pass. Um, yeah. 
And then there's Kawhi too. <laughs> Kawhi yeah. too, but like I still don't love the Clippers fit of roster in general. You do, like, you do hate you can Clippers. Jaden can go on Kawhi and like yeah. give him some problems. And then the Clippers don't have many other places to turn to right now. Mm-hmm. If you do have a guy who can limit Kawhi, Kawhi plays a lot of ISO ball. Minnesota really defends ISO ball well. Like I, I think they've shown that even at full strength, they are a decent matchup for the Clippers. Like they, they do a nice job defending the Clippers and the way the Clippers play. Um, so I'd rather play the Clippers than the Lakers. Yeah, uh, I gotta, I gotta think about that a little bit more. I, I, I need to watch the Pelicans. I feel like I've like just seen them in bits and pieces recently. I just haven't had the chance to, to watch much of them. Um, I don't have a good, I don't, I just don't have a a good feel on them. Uh, I do feel like the Lakers would be the worst for actual basketball reasons and the whole yeah. LeBron and all all that factor. So, so we agree there. Uh, all right, Jason. Wh- whoever you, this is for fans. Like tonight, the Lakers play the Clippers. Whoever you think the Wolves that have a better chance of beating in a play-in, root for that team to lose tonight. Because <laughs> yeah. the other team has a, has a very good path to being a top six seed. Right, right, right. No, that's a that's a good point. Well, we will we will see what happens. Uh, we got to just track the <laughs> track the other games and the the standings for for the next three nights here until the Wolves uh, play. Saturday afternoon, that is, that is a factor, and Sunday yeah. afternoon uh, against the against the Pelicans. Uh, so we'll see what happens here. Um, we'll 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 keep tracking it. And again, I will uh, the last episode uh, before the yeah the weekend of the the Spurs and Pelicans will be uh, the the live event with uh, with Kyle and Britt that should publish I think on Friday Friday morning at some time. So appreciate you sticking with us. Uh, not completely. Uh, disappearing after they lost to the blazers just, are, are the wolves back i, I don't know <laughs> I, I don't i don't know if that's the it's such a game the game team. like it really is it's so you know? and and like we talk about too like you can if you go from feeling terrible about them to great just if the ball bounces one way or another uh, in so many of these games like they they play a lot of one possession games right now and, and it's, it's been just, it's been a hard swings. team to cover right like from, right. a, from a writing or from i mean it's like are they great because the shot goes in? Are they terrible because that same shot doesn't go in? Like I don't know, you know. I I just I feel I feel kind of dumb talking about this team sometimes. Like it in the you know, obviously you know me and Chris have to just kind of go all in on how bad that Blazers loss is. But even as I'm doing that talking about it, I'm like honestly. But the one thing I know about this team is like they kind of do bounce back or bounce down, like based on whatever's happening. As soon as things are high, they, they fall back down. And as soon as things are low, they kind of bounce back up. So it, if I mean the, the necessary reality of our jobs is to be reactionary to some extent, literally reacting to the game and writing about it, talking about it. Uh, but it's, it's just been a, it's been a, it's been a weird team to cover and a weird, weird to like, I know a lot of fans many months ago, like, put a fork in this team like whatever i don't care about it like come back to me next year once or or in five years whatever it might yeah, be yeah, but like sure. that that's not what what we could do here i i've just found it not in a bad i'm not like complaining about the season it's just it's a it's a it's a funky one to cover i'm just it, like picturing somebody listening to this immediately after having listened to me and chris right. talk about the blazers or i'm dropping f-bombs and shit like <laughs> i don't I know mean, it's like weird. the nba is so reactionary on a night-to-night basis anyway and now like the the importance of all the games ramps up and like, like let's just take last night and like say they call a foul on Ant for like bumping Dinwiddie's elbow as he goes up for that first shot. Mm-hmm. Then he makes all three Nets win in overtime. Like now the Wolves suck um, where if they don't call that foul and they get the stop and now it's like, now it's like now we're on, they're on track for, you know, <laughs> maybe the seven win a 
get into the playoffs, have a good show. But showing, the other way like, too, man, it's like yeah, the, the same other, thing with the other Boston. Way like, what if the Boston yeah. game goes exactly. different? Like, yep. it's like yeah, it, no, it, that's exactly it. It's like it's one play here or there, and in one thing, it's like their season's over. They suck. <laughs> they have to blow it out. And the other one's like, well, sometimes this does fit, and they do have a lot yeah. of versatility with their late game lineups that they can go to. It's like it's one shot, it's one play, it's one call here or there. Um, that is. You you try to be a team you you aim to be a team that has enough leeway where it doesn't too often come down to that. Right. The Wolves are in a position where it's always coming down to that, and that is in itself its own issue, I yes. guess. Um, but but it, that's what makes this season so weird. Is like it's like one shot here or there. If it goes in, they're great. If it doesn't, they suck. <laughs> one call, whatever. Like one rebound, it, it totally comes down to all of that every single night. Kind of exhausting. Um, and it does make you feel really dumb sometimes. <laughs> it does, and that's okay. And that you know that that that's okay too. It's okay to take a breath and uh, you know wait for to die another day. Um, well, I've had housekeeping like knock on my hotel door here numerous times in the middle of this episode, so I'm <laughs> uh, gonna gonna wrap this up. Uh, as always, you can uh, follow Jace on Twitter at Jace Frederick and uh, read his work over at the Pioneer Press uh, until Thursday uh, with Kyle and Britt. He's Jace. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dancing like nobody else around